Dr. Williams has been moving my heart in preaching since I was that high, and I've loved him all my life and respected him, and he preaches like he did when I first heard him as a little boy 50 years ago, and he's still preaching the same. I want to be influenced by the men who've been faithful to the truth of God's Word. And uh, and that's why he's here, and he's here year after year after year, sometimes twice a year. Uh, but Dr. Williams, I love you. Thank you so much for being consistent and just staying the same. Come and share your story, please, sir. Amen. You preacher, love you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. I think most of you, I'm going to move right along this morning because... It uh, takes a full hour uh, to tell the story and do justice to it. Uh, I want to challenge you this morning. Uh, I I brought some copies of the movie uh, because I uh, took care of my wife for 28 and a half years. She never saw the inside of a nursing home or anything. Uh, And... uh, they made a major motion picture of it, and it's been in over 150 nations, and uh, millions, without any exaggeration, people have been saved. And uh, Christians have found the strength to go the next mile. And uh, so I trust this morning, I brought these, I, wanted, I think there's 36 of them that I, I had the office ship over. Uh, I'd like to challenge 36 families to be, get one of these today uh, and uh, to use it, use it. Go up and down your street and say, we have a movie at our house that will absolutely change your marriage. It'll change your life. Uh, and uh, marriages are falling apart like water out of a spigot. Uh, America leads the world in divorces. Uh, and uh, uh, the homes are just uh, tore up today. And so I, I hope that you'll do that. I had one couple in Florida that took the challenge. And uh, they invited eight families from their block, one at a time, into their home for a meal and to watch the movie. And seven of those families joined the local church, were saved and joined a local church. Uh, uh, it's, it's so powerful uh, that I, I hope you'll get it and use it. Uh, and uh, Ms. Williams will be at the table this morning to help you. Sweetheart, would you stand, please? This is my uh, third wife, and uh, so precious, so wonderful, such a help me to me. Uh, and I, I thank God and could never thank God enough for her. Uh, and uh, I love her. Would you take your Bibles this morning, please? Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. Book of Matthew and chapter 14. 
In the 14th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is speaking. There's a tremendous crowd there. And uh, as he goes on into the day, he dismisses the crowd. And uh, we uh, see here uh, that he straightway, in verse 22, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And uh, he was praying up on the mountain. Uh, Guess who he was praying for? He was praying for the men in the ship. He purposely sent them into a storm. He knew the storm was coming, and he knew it, what, how severe it would be, and yet he told them, get in the boat and go to the other side. He pointed over toward Tiberias, and he said, you get in the boat and go to the other side. And uh, so they get in the boat and didn't want to. The Bible says they they didn't want to get in the boat, but they did out of obedience to him. And uh, they began to row their way across the sea, and they'd gotten right in the middle of the sea. I take the Bible literally. It says they were in the midst of it. Uh, And uh, it's seven and a half miles wide, uh, the Sea of Galilee, 11 miles long, not not a very big place. Uh, And uh, they got out in the middle of it, and this storm came in like... A storm comes into Denver, Colorado. I mean, it could be a beautiful day, sunshine, 70 degrees, and at night, by nighttime, there's two feet of snow on the ground, uh, and it's about 30-degree weather. Uh, And uh, the the Galilean Sea is much like that as far as storms coming in onto the sea. And here they are, and they're in this storm, and Jesus uh, starts walking on the water. And uh, sometime I'll uh, preach a message to you that uh, God has given me. Why did he walk on the water? It's a tremendous thing. But he comes walking on the water. And uh, the apostles uh, cry out in fear. (laughs) You say, how do you know that? How do you cry out in fear? I think I could be an apostle. I get scared sometimes. And they cried out for fear. And they thought it was a ghost walking on the water. And it was the Lord Jesus. So Peter said, Peter said, if it's you, bid me come to you. And Jesus said, come on. Now see, Peter never walked on the water. He walked on the word. When Jesus said, come, that water is about to get walked on. It might as well be cement because somebody's going to walk on it. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, So, uh, he said, uh, so Peter got down. He started walking toward Jesus. Now there's waves 10, 12 feet high. Uh, And this one wave came up and hid Christ. Uh, the wind was boisterous, big waves, and it hid Christ for a moment. And Peter 
went all to pieces. Uh, and you will too if you get your eyes off of him. Yeah. And uh, so the Lord Jesus is here. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, he reaches out and Peter is sinking. He reaches out and, and grabs Peter uh, and uh, takes him by the hand. And they walk back to the boat together. Uh, you know, I, I just, I love the Lord. I, tell you, uh, I love how he does things. Uh, Peter walked on the water, uh, you know, uh, by the word of Christ. Uh, and uh, God let him walk far enough to show him he could do it. And then he let him sink enough that he never mentioned it. Read all about Peter. He never said, I walked on the water. Uh, no, he never mentioned it. Oh, well. Now, I'm trying to teach you some things, okay? Uh, yeah, amen. Uh, and uh, so they walk back and they get in the boat. And the Bible says that the storm... And the wind, when the wind boisterous, he was afraid, began to sink, he cried. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. The wind ceased. There wasn't any more wind. I mean, the sea looked like a, a placid thing. And uh, that's what I want to tell you about this morning. You need Jesus in your boat. Doctors won't be enough. Medicine won't be enough. You need Christ in your boat. 1978, <clears throat> I took, Tom Berry and I took 54 people to Israel on a trip. My wife was with me there. And <clears throat> we've been there Ten days, and uh, we went up Mount Masada, which is the place there where about eleven hundred zealots uh, died. They weren't given to Rome, and uh, Rome finally built a road right up the side of the mountain and went in there and killed them all. Well, he didn't kill them all; they killed themselves, uh, and uh, just appointed some men and to kill them and then those men killed each other until when uh, Rome got up there at the top they had no victory uh, and so Masada has become uh, a, a place where so many people go to see that uh, and we, we got almost to the top in the tram there and uh, my wife just began to I said uh, uh, what's the matter honey she said, I don't know. I can't stop this jerking. And uh, so when we got to the top, I had some people help me get her over and sit her down. And, and uh, she just kept jerking and jerking. And you couldn't, go, you couldn't ride the tram back down in those days. And the trail that went off the backside of Masada was something uh, to, that needed to be fixed. Uh, and uh, some men helped me. And we got down <clears throat> off of the mountain, and uh, the <clears throat> driver of the bus said, the bus won't do us any good. Uh, and so he called an army division that was close to there, uh, and he 
uh, asked them, could we use an ambulance? And uh, they said yes. So they sent a driver. And uh, that ambulance took us down to Beersheba, Israel. And uh, we got in there, and Miss Williams was getting worse and worse. Uh, and <clears throat> they couldn't really find out what was wrong. They thought there was some kind of a, a, a poison or some kind of a, a, a something in her uh, urinal system uh, that was maybe causing this uh, pain and causing the jerking. And But they said, the wisest thing you can do, sir, is get her to America where they have all of the technology and everything more than anybody does. Uh, this was in 1978. And, and uh, so uh, we hired a taxi cab. The, the rest of the tour group, I told them, just go on. Uh, and uh, we hired a taxi cab to take us from Beersheba uh, to Tel Aviv and uh, to the airport. And we got there. They wouldn't hardly let us on the plane because they weren't sure uh, if what she had was communicable. Uh, and uh, finally, they did let us on the plane. And uh, the was a seat. They arranged a seat where uh, she could have two seats and then lay on my lap. And uh, she was able to get a little bit of sleep. Uh, and uh, Dr. Don Ketchum, an international physician, uh, I happened to know him, and he was on that plane. And uh, he came and looked at, at Pam, and uh, and uh, he couldn't tell what, uh, what what was wrong. He said, and that's what the doctors in Israel said. They said it's too quick to diagnose it. Uh, and uh, so we got to America, uh, and uh, they wouldn't hardly let us on the next plane, but they did. And we got into Washington, D.C., where our children were at a, uh, there, staying with some folks while we were in Israel, and our motor home was parked there. And we got there, uh, and uh, she just kept getting worse and worse. And uh, so we took her uh, to the hospital uh, there just outside of the Beltline uh, of Washington, D.C. And uh, the doctors, uh, we admitted her. And, of course, uh, the lady down at the desk uh, said, Now, what insurance do you have? And I said, We don't have insurance. I said, God asked us many, many years ago to live without insurance, and we've always done that. Uh, and I said, But we'll pay our bill. Uh, and uh, she said, uh, well, this is going to really be a lot of money. And I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, so uh, anyway, uh, Pam finally had to be tied to the bed so she wouldn't keep beating on it with her fists and uh, and kicking it with her feet. And, uh, and uh, they decided that uh, she was uh, some kind of, uh, she needed a psychiatrist because something was wrong in her mind because she was saying words by now that meant nothing. Uh, uh, and I'll not try to illustrate those words to you, uh, but they just meant nothing. Uh, and uh, they were convinced that they were going to put her in a psychiatric ward and get some psychiatrists in on the situation. And I said, I'll carry her out of here in my arms before you'll put her in a psychiatric ward. That's not going to happen. Uh, and uh, they said, well, uh, we're not going to do anything else. Uh, and so I said, okay, you can bring a psychiatrist here, but you're not going anywhere with my wife. And so they brought this psychiatrist in, and he was a, a really a good fellow. And he he watched Pam for a little bit, asked her two or three questions, which uh, she could answer with her eyes. 
Uh, and uh, he looked at this team of doctors and he said, gentlemen, he said, it's not psychiatric. It, she doesn't have anything wrong with her mind. It's in her body. And if you don't get on it real quick, you're going to be too late. And uh, so uh, a little uh, a doctor there said, I'll take the case. And he was a, a little Chinese fellow, Dr. Xi. And uh, they said he was the best internal medicine man in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, and uh, he he took the case. And, and so uh, I put the children back in the home where they were staying, uh, except my oldest son, Tim. Uh, and he stayed with me there. And uh, the doctors gave me no hope uh, that she could live. And uh, Dr. She came out and he said, your wife, we have found, has uh, a bacterial meningitis, the meningococcus strain. Now, just to help you a little bit to understand that, the meninges are the covering of your brain. And this disease was in her brain, and it just comes right down through it like this. Uh, and uh, so she went uh, into convulsions and finally into a coma. Uh, and Dr. She and the doctors gave her 24 hours to live. And uh, I said, is there anything that can help us? He said, penicillin uh, sometimes helps this particular meningitis. But he said, you're talking about so much penicillin that probably the penicillin will kill her. And I said, she's going to die anyway. And I said, let's do it. And he gave her 24 million units of penicillin. And in the next several days, she received more penicillin up to that point that any person had received. Uh, it was in the billions. Uh, and it made her hair fall out just like the chemotherapy does and stuff. Uh, and uh, But I said, uh, I, 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 I said, I believe she's going to live. Dr. Ed Nelson flew in from Denver, our pastor, and uh, he and, and another pastor and I prayed over Miss Williams and Dr. Nelson looked at me and he said, Preacher, what do you think? I said, she's going to live. And uh, she did live. Uh, it, it took her brain uh, and uh, just destroyed it. Uh, and uh, But they wanted me to just let her die. And I said, uh, you don't understand. That's my wife. That's not number 307. That's my wife. And I promised a little girl, if she would marry me, I'd love her till death does part. And uh, she just got worse and worse, and they were so convinced that she would die that they wouldn't tie her hands up or tie her feet out to keep her and put sandbags on everything. And, and they said, she's going to die, preacher. There's no use doing all that. And uh, But we're going to move her down to acute care. 
That just means right across the hall from a nursery station. And you and the children can be in there all you want to be in there till she passes. And uh, so I said, okay. So they moved her down there. And uh, the doctors took care of her. Dr. She, uh, he would come out and, and I, I'd say, Dr. She, Dr. She, uh, the RNs uh, that are in there in the ICU unit uh, said that they, they, they saw, they saw the, uh, their hand move. And this little Chinese guy, and he said, oh, aha, aha. Nurses see many things. <laughs> and he said, Mr. Williams, I'm not going to give you any hope because there is no hope. And I said, well, I believe she's going to live. Uh, and uh, so anyway, we stayed in that hospital six weeks. And when we had been there uh, two days, that lady in the office called me down and she said, uh, Mr. Williams, uh, the bill is already $3,000 just right now. And we need that by 4 o'clock since you don't have insurance. And I said, uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, she said, where are you going to get that? I said, from my father. And she said, does he have that kind of money? I said, uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> she said, uh, can you get a hold of him? I said, yeah, I was just talking to him when you called me down here this morning. And she said, well, you tell him we need $3,000. And I said, okay. So I got on the elevator and I started up uh, to the ICU floor and I said, Father, this is Tom. He said, I know. I said, Pam's really sick. He said, I know. I said, they want $3,000. He said, I'll take care of it. And I got off the elevator and started down the hall. And there was a church there in the Washington, D.C. area where I preached quite a lot of times. And Dr. Bud Calvert, the pastor, started down the, or was coming down the hall. And uh, I said, morning, bud. He said, Tom, how's Pam? I said, still alive. He said, praise the Lord. He said, our church never went home last night. We prayed all night, the whole church. And said, this morning, when we were breaking up, the men said, Brother William, or, Pastor, Brother William's going to need some money. Uh, and uh, said, "Why don't you take him a check for thirty-five hundred dollars, and and uh, we'll we'll uh, put it back in Sunday with our other offering and bring it back up where it ought to be." And Bud handed me a check for thirty-five hundred dollars. It had been ten minutes, and I got on the elevator, went back down there, and I gave that money to that lady, and she said, "That's remarkable." I said, "Yes, ma'am." I said, there's 500 extra I'll probably be needing. It. And, and uh, two days later, she called me down and said, we need 4,000 more. And I said, okay. And uh, so I got on the elevator. And I said, Father, this is Tom. And he said, I know. And I said, they need $4,000. He said, I'll take care of it. And uh, I got off the elevator. And they had to put on two more operators on the PBX just to take our calls. People were calling from all over the world. And colleges had announced it, Bob Jones University and on down. And uh, I really believe in the first 24 hours that 150,000 people went to prayer. 
phone rang at the nurse's station. It wasn't anybody there. And I said, oh, I bet it's for us anyway. And so I answered it. And it was my pastor in Denver, Dr. Nelson. And I, he said, Tom, how's Pam? I said, still alive, preacher. And he said, uh, amen. He said, how's finances? I said, preacher, they want $4,000 now. And he said, isn't that good? He said, we took an offering for you last night, and it's $4,120. He said, we'll get a check from Brother Calvert, and we will overnight this one to him to replace it. And Bud said, sure, we can do that. So he brought the money over, and I got on the elevator and went down there and gave it to that lady. And she said, that's remarkable. I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, we stayed in that hospital six weeks, and uh, and uh, nothing was much happening, and, uh, and she was just getting worse, and her body was going back into the fetus position, uh, arms like this, and her legs uh, were turned in, and and uh, her feet, with her toes, it was turning down off of her feet, and <clears throat> I said to Dr. She, Dr. She, she's not doing any good. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to take her to Denver, where we live. And uh, so he said, I understand. So he signed the, the papers of release, and I went down uh, to the office and uh, settled up with them. And uh, the lady in the office, she said, uh, Brother Williams, she said, we've never had anything like this here. She said, people lined the halls, got on their knees, prayed, put on extra operators. And you've attended every funeral of people who've died in the ICU. We've never seen anything like that. She said, uh, I just want you to know so much money has come in for you that we owe you a refund. I almost told her I needed it by four o'clock. <laughs> but I didn't. I said, that's okay. So I went back up and Dr. She and I were following the gurney down to the ambulance. He said, now you know uh, when he told me that he would dismiss her. He said, uh, you know that you can't drive her home in that motorhome because she's subject to convulsions. She's subject uh, to grand mal seizures. And you're, you're going to have to fly her home. And I called the airlines. They wanted $7,000 back in 1978. They want me to buy several rows of the plane and put, some, uh, put a bed in there and whatever and fence it off with curtains. And I didn't think I could do that. So I had a friend who had a Learjet, and uh, I called him, and, and I, I tried to call him and couldn't get a hold of him. Called his parents, and they said, Tom, he's in, uh, he's in Hawaii, and he don't want to be bothered. He's been under a lot of pressure from different corporations that he owns, and, and uh, said uh, he just he don't want to be bothered. We don't know where he is. And uh, so God knows I'm telling you the truth. I got down on my knees. And I said, Father, you know where Jerry is. 
Tell him I need that plane. And uh, tell him to call. So he, five minutes, five minutes, phone rang. He said, this is Jerry Smith, Tom. And I said, Jerry, five minutes ago, I asked God to tell you to call. He said, what do you need? I said, I know it's a big favor, but I need that plane. He said, Tom, all you got to do is tell me when and He said, uh, I said, can, the, can they come by Denver and pick up our family doctor and, and that he could ride with us back to Denver? And he said, sure. And at 8 o'clock Monday morning, that uh, plane flew into National Airport in Washington, D.C. And uh, the Lord got us back to Denver. And Dr. Rowland admitted my wife in the big St. Francis Hospital there. And uh, she was in there. Uh, for two weeks, and they didn't know what to do for her. And, and I told Dr. Roland, I'm going to take her home. He said, Tom, you can't. You can't. You can't do that. And I said, I, I've got to try. So he dismissed her. She was down to 84 pounds. I picked her up in my arms and uh, they came and drove me over to our motor home. We didn't have a home. We had a big motor home. And what I'm going to tell you went on in a motor home. I began to do therapy on her and uh, eight, nine hours a day until I just couldn't. I'm I'm really strong. God made me strong. And uh, I uh, put her in the back bedroom there. And uh, I couldn't afford to buy the things that would help her. So I made them. I took a piece of plywood, five feet tall. She was five foot one or two and five feet tall. And I put a bottom on it that went up like this. And I would work on her feet and then put her on that board and she couldn't put her feet back down uh, because that I had it like this. And then I bought some high top tennis shoes. If she could have seen herself, I'd be dead today. Uh, and, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I took and I put those high top tennis shoes on her and then I tied the, the strings up like this so that her feet couldn't go down. Uh, and uh, she, she would... Uh, sleep like that and all and I'd loosen them every little bit and so I just kept working on her body and working on her body and two young therapists uh, from the hospital there in Denver took a burden for us and they came out and taught me therapy uh, so that I didn't damage the cartilage in the joints uh, and uh, or anything and they taught me therapy and and uh, I could never thank God and in my second book, uh, I wrote about about them, and uh, and uh, the I just work on her and work on her and work on her, and you had to you had to to, to take uh, like this hand was closed uh, or this hand was open, the fingers back up her arm like that uh, up here, 
And you had to take and bring those fingers, not just to hear, but you have to retrain the brain. And if the brain thinks it's winning, uh, then you'll never win. And so uh, you you take it beyond where it really wants you, you want it to stop and, and uh, get it there. And then the brain says, okay, I, 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 I'm going to put it right here. And, and so then it's in the right place. And uh, we just worked and worked on her, on her hands and her feet and her legs, uh, and uh, just you, you, you just work, work and work and work hours and hours a day, and the next morning they were right back where they were before you started, uh, and but we began to gain a little bit on it, uh, and uh, we went back on the road. She was in a coma for six months. And uh, I said to the children, i got to preach. If you got preach in you, you want to preach. And I said, i got to preach. So we started back on the road, and the children would watch her uh, while I drove. And uh, we'd, we'd bring her to every meal at the table. We wanted her to, if she could know, we wanted her to know she was still part of the family. And we'd bring her and tie her in a chair there at the table. And we would joke with her and laugh with her. And uh, then we'd go back there. Uh, we had a 50, uh, I got a 30-gallon uh, trash can. And I would hold her out over there. Of course, the boys couldn't see their mother. But the girls, we had two girls. And, and I would ha- hold her out over that trash can. And they'd wash her hair uh, and... Uh, and then uh, bathe her body, and we'd took care of her that way. Uh, and uh, just all of what we could make. Uh, and they didn't know if she could see. They didn't know if she could hear. They didn't know if it had left her with anything. Uh, and we did everything that we could think of and that I could find out about. And uh, one, I had one child just uh, take a, a pocket watch and swing it back and forth, back and forth, hoping her eyes would, would pick up on it. And one day they did, thank God. And they started moving. And it just gained on it a little bit, a little bit. And so we went back on the road. And I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, preaching for Dr. Bob Bevington. I'd run in and preach, and the kids would watch their mother. And I come out that night. Paul, our son Paul, 14 years old, had bought his mother a little stuffed dog had several colors and so we named him Rainbow and uh, Paul had come back every night set that little dog there and say Mama Rainbow going to sleep with you and of course no response of any kind and uh, next morning he come get it next night same thing and uh, so that night he brought the little dog back and and he put it beside her and he said Mama uh, Rainbow's going to sleep with you Mama, who's this? Who's this, Mama? She said, And uh, if I could have run, I would have, but then the motorhome, you can't run very far. So... We just rejoiced and rejoiced. And I ran to the phone then. Uh, that was before cell phones or anything. And 
I ran into church and borrowed a phone and called Dr. Rowland back in Denver. And I said, Doc, Pam woke up, Pam woke up. She said, why, well, and he began to cry. He said, Tom, I was hoping she'd never wake up. He said, what you have on your hands is a brand new baby. You will have to bring her through every situation that a baby goes through. You have to teach her to crawl again and air everything. So we got some big silk sheets and whatever church we were in, we'd bring it out in the foyer and I'd spread those silk sheets because they were easy to slip on. And the children would shove back on our shoulders and I'd push her uh, like that over across. We'd turn around and come back just trying to learn to crawl. And uh, <clears throat> took over a year and a half uh, to do that. Uh, and uh, finally got her to crawl a little bit. And uh, just step by step by step by step. Everybody kept saying, Tom, you're not God. Put her away. Put her in a hole somewhere. And I said, can't do that. And uh, we got an appointment. There are three therapeutic centers in the world that are world-recognized. One is in Denver, that's Craig Rehab. One is Rockefeller Center in New York. And the other one is, I can't remember the name, but it's in London, England. And uh, so we're gonna, we were living in Denver, so I called Craig. It took four months to get an appointment with Dr. Silo, C-I-L-O. And he's considered up in the top two or three of the world uh, in neurology. And uh, so he had all the records sent in uh, to him, and he studied those. And then he gave me an appointment, and we went in, and, and uh, they had a, a, a room, quite a large room. And they had therapists sitting all around that room, uh, speech therapists, occupational therapists, uh, and uh, uh, physical therapists, so forth. Uh, and uh, so he said, okay, preacher, you have an hour. Show us what Ms. Williams can do. And by that time, uh, I had her back to a 360 degree. She uh, could turn her head this way, this way. Uh, she could put her hands behind her back uh, and uh, so forth. Uh, and, uh, and, and her legs were straightened out. And he said, uh, uh, at the end of the hour, he looked at all these therapists and he said, who can improve on the preacher in your category and uh, there wasn't a dry eye in that room at that time and uh, they all said Dr. She you know we can't touch we can't touch what the preachers done what we do we do for money what he has done he's done for life love At that point, he told his secretary to go to his files and get a certain file out of it. And she did. And he said, Preacher, I want to show you this. There was a boy in Anchorage, Alaska, and he had a motorcycle wreck. He's been here in Craig for 11 months. At the end of 11 months, this is what he could do. 
with his index finger just a little bit. So his folks said, we're going to take him home. So they took him home uh, to Anchorage. They came off, the, he couldn't talk, he couldn't do anything. They brought him off of the plane on the stretcher and put the stretcher on the ground. His brother had not seen him since he had the wreck. He dropped down on his knees, tears pouring down his face, onto his brother's face. He said, Fred, I love you. The boy on the stretcher reached up, hugged his brother and said, Love you too, Bill. Silo said, Sir, love did in one minute what 11 months of the finest therapy in the world couldn't touch. He said, Take that to your critics. Seemed like I read in the Bible, love never fails. So, anyway, Pam got good enough and I put her in my arms and took her all over the world and uh, carried her up. I remember in Romania, so many of these third world countries, they don't have anything for crippled people. That's why you'll walk down the street and there'll be beggar after beggar sitting on the street. They don't have any wheelchair ramps. They don't have any wheelchairs. I didn't at that time. Uh, and uh, so uh, I carried her up 100 steps in my arms. And uh, the Lord blessed. And uh, I began to tell the story around the nation. When I told it at First Baptist Church Hammond, There were five standing ovations. Dr. Hiles said, let's take an offering and have Brother Williams, let's furnish him enough money to pay the the lady that works with her and for him uh, salary for a year. Next morning, he invited me up on the platform about nine o'clock in the morning. And he said, Preacher, we got a little more money than we planned on. But he said, I'm sure you can use it. He said, we just gave you the largest offering that First Baptist Church has ever given anybody. It was $38,541.20. He said, uh, I think you ought to know that in the offering plate last night was five sets of wedding rings. The people had nothing to give, so the ladies gave their wedding rings. He asked that wherever they were in the building, those five ladies would come and bring their husbands. And then he bought the wedding rings 
out of the offering and gave them back, had their husbands place them on their fingers. God has been pleased to use the movie. God has been pleased to use the books we've written. And uh, in such tremendous ways, When my children, my oldest girl went off to college and uh, my son, oldest son got married, I told them, I said, you go on with your lives. And they did. And uh, so I said uh, to the Lord, I need your help. I said, I, I, I've got to have some help. I had this... The, the, Penny was 10 years old when it happened. Paul was 14. And uh, he said, well, hire somebody. Hire a lady. And I said, I don't have any money. He said, I didn't ask if you had any money. I just said, hire. And he said, they don't get paid till Friday. (laughs) I said, okay. A preacher called me and he said, uh, Brother Williams, I know you travel a lot. He said, uh, what is the best car company to rent a car from? I said, Williams Car Rental. And he said, rent your car? I said, we have a nice car. I'll pick you up at the airport. You can drive the car and then I'll take you back to the airport. So he said, well, okay. And so he was back on Thursday and uh, paid me, and it was exactly enough money to pay the lady on Friday. For the next 27 years, God paid the nurse every week. My dear wife that's here tonight, or this morning, took care of Ms. Williams for the last 13 years. Gave up her career. She has a master's degree in speech pathology. Worked in a big hospital in Connecticut. And she gave that all up. A man in Alabama, in my presence, walked up to her and asked her her degree and all. He said, I'll give you... $200,000 a year if you'll run my therapy school. She looked at him and said, Sir, it's not money. It's the will of God. Do we really want God's will? Janine was qualified to take care of Miss Williams. For the last few years, it was very, very rough. And, and uh, she knew what to do. And it was such a blessing, such a help. 
Sure. Sure. Love your wife. You may not always have her. Love your husband, ma'am. You may you won't always have him. There is. I get so tired of people who say, you know, the American dream, the American dream is money. Well, I want you to understand this morning, the American dream has turned into a nightmare. James Dobson called a young lady that had heard me tell the story got one of the copies of it and sent it to James Dobson. He listened to it and he began to put it out on focus on the family. At that time he had the largest radio network in the world, 1100 stations. His secretary called me and said, this is blowing Dr. Dobson's mind, Brother Williams. He said the first 30 days, we had 30,000 letters. He said we've never had anything even come close to that. And then she called and later on and said in the first 60 days, we had 300,000 letters. I don't tell you that to impress you. I tell you that. God can use you. All things work together for good to those which are called according to the purpose of God. I would not choose to have gone through what I've gone through. But I thank God for His goodness. Now I'll tell you just real quick and I'm through. I'm going to tell you why Jesus walked on the water. My oldest son is quite a preacher. He called me one day and he said, Dad, I want to preach on Jesus walking on the water. But the commentaries don't say anything. I said, yeah, commentaries are like that. Everything I know they know and what I don't know they don't know either. I said, one day, Tim, I went to my Heavenly Father and I said, Father, I said, why did Jesus walk on the water? And he said to me, Tom, we've been waiting on you to ask that one because it's really good. 
And I said, Tim, are you sitting down? He said, yeah, I did. I said, Jesus walked on the water to show you and me. We can't get where he can't come. You see, if you have cancer this morning, I can't come there. I've never had it. But you tell me your wife died. I can come where you are. You tell me your second wife died. I can tell you. I can come where you are. You tell me about your little girl dying. And I can come where you are. But I can't come where you are if you have cancer. I can't come where you are in other circumstances. But I want you to know this morning, i got to save you. It can get to where you are. And when he gets in your boat and whispers, peace, be still, it'll be okay. He didn't say we wouldn't have trouble as Christians. He didn't say we wouldn't have sorrow. But he did say this, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Our heads are bowed, please. Our Father.